And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thanks so much for joining us here on the program. I always uh, like to jump right into uh, the conversation with our guest, who is today a, a, a woman who is going to share with us some very interesting things uh, from the ancient Jewish mystical traditions to help you and me Find Our Path to Transformation. Catherine Shaneberg is my guest. And Catherine, I want to thank you for joining us here on the program. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, I tell you, one of the areas that I have always been fascinated by <clears throat> in today's conversation especially uh, is, uh, if I'm pronouncing, because uh, people pronounce it differently. Uh, yes. the, 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 some say Kabbalah. Some say Kabbalah. And if, if I'm correct, it's the same word translated uh, into uh, the tree of life. Is that correct? No. That's something separate. I mean, the tree of life is part of the Kabbalah. Okay. I say Kabbalah. Kabbalah really means to receive. Hmm. Okay. And so, so it, it has to do with inner reception, if you want. If, if I look in, inside, there's a revelation. I'm receiving yeah. the knowledge, right, or the wisdom. And I will say that some of my favorite conversations on this program have been with rabbis because I am aware of, have no direct knowledge of the level of study that they must go through. Uh, and it's just fascinating some of the insights that, I have, that have been shared with us here on this program. And I'm looking forward to the same kinds of insights from you as well as we take a look at how the ancient Jewish mystical traditions help us answer our most urgent questions and transform our lives. And you have, uh, your latest work is the uh, Kabbalah of Light, uh, which is, uh, you're helping us to provide, you are providing us, I should say, with a step-by-step -step guide uh, that helps us to tap into the subconscious to, uh, to activate powers of manifestation and creativity using a practice passed down over centuries. How much of this information regarding uh, the Kabbalah, <clears throat> how much of this information is, I mean, even goes, potentially even predates Judaism? Well, we can say predates Judaism because the original Kabbalah, the one that I actually teach, is about looking inward. So looking inward has happened to us from the very beginning. We look inward when we when we dream at night, right? Um, we we are asleep, so the the conscious brain has gone to sleep, and we can see much more clearly what the subconscious is doing, right? And so um, I often say that it's it, 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 we can go to the very beginnings of the Bible where God hovers over the 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 waters the dark waters and immediately light appears this is a very interesting thing because this light is very different from the light of the sun the moon or the stars it's what the Kabbalists call the light of creation so when i look in immediately light appears and then very interestingly forms appear by right? order appears so the, we can say that it happened even, I hate to say that, before the Bible. And I'll tell you why, because 
in the Kabbalistic tradition, um, the, the Bible is written before the creation of the world. It's already in God's uh, consciousness, if you want. And so as, as God looks in or hovers over the waters, light appears and then all the forms that are going to become the basic uh, archetypal forms of the universe. And of course, this work that you are um, sharing with us today in the uh, Kabbalah of Light actually goes back a minimum right now, as we're talking, of, right. of 800 years in yes. terms of a specific a specific sure. rabbi, a rabbi Isaac of uh, the, uh, the Isaac the Blind of Pasquera, Pasqueras? Pasquera. Pasquera. Okay. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore. Pusquier is a, a town in the southern France that's now called Vauvert. Okay. And at the time, 800 years ago, there was a very, very big learning center that was run by Isaac the Blind, right? Um, and uh, he was called blind. The big question by the scholars is, was he really blind? Clearly, from all of his descriptions of his visions, he wasn't blind, mm. right? He, he had extraordinary colors, extraordinary visions. So um, I think that it's a metaphor, one that you also find in the Bible with the patriarch Isaac, who's also blind mm -hmm. and who lives in tents, which is another metaphor if you want for looking inside, right? Mm. We talk on this program a lot, every program. Uh, it's part of the <clears throat> particulars that I share about when you can hear the program, where you can find it online, and so forth. And it has to do with what uh, in uh, September of uh, 2019, uh, I started promoting, at that time, it was the year of Perfect Vision 2020. And following mm -hmm. that, we went to, starting in 2021, we went to the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s, where we encourage people to go within, to spend time going in within to listen to that still small voice. And that's really, that's kind of what you're talking about, isn't it? Absolutely. So that's why I'm, to answer your question, um, this is at the very, very beginnings of creation, that creation looks at itself, begins to look at itself. And, and, um, unfolds and shows itself or, or when we do that and we look in our nature unfolds and shows us the way we should be so it always is preceded by a question mm. right? the question being well who am i let's say so i look inside and i ask what does it feel like in this body right so in a in the night dream um, there's always a question. And the question really comes from, let's say I have an anxiety, I'm worried about what the boss said. That's mm. a question that starts to move all of the millions of bits of information that are the great river of the subconscious, right? Mm -hmm. or, or, the, or our own nature. And we live in nature, so our nature in nature is beginning to show us an answer to our question, right? 
So it's, it is short circuits the conscious mind that's analytical and logical, and it goes straight to the revelation. Now, my understanding that, um, that um, from my own personal experiences especially, that <clears throat> when I listen to and follow the promptings of that still small voice, right. I, I have given my still small voice a name, as it were, or at least a, uh, a title of my friend. And <laughs> it took a while. Yeah, it took a while <clears throat> to trust because I wasn't quite sure what was going on, but I knew, well, I mean, it was coming from me. I mean, nobody from the outside world was telling me which way to go. And um, I've shared this story before where I'm bicycling uh, to work one day, and where I was bicycling through were farm fields, and they were basically one mile square. And <clears throat> I think I was about four or five miles from the radio station I was working for, and I was told, okay, at the next intersection, you're going to turn right. Then you're going to turn at the next intersection left, the next intersection left. And then when you get to the next intersection, you can turn right. Basically, I'm going th three miles out of my way. And I went a half a mile past the first intersection, and the prompting would not go away. I mean, it just was persistent. Now, okay, all right, all right, all right. So I turned my two-wheeler around, went back to that intersection, and I followed the directions. I don't know why it was doing that. Other, The, the only conclusion I was able to come to at the time was it wasn't that it was uh, I was uh, avoiding an accident or, you know, whatever that might entail. It was, you say you're, you trust me? Do you really? All right, if you do, then here we go. And nowadays, it's it's less of hearing the prompting as much as now I am just sensing, okay, turn here. And, you know, and every once in a while, I'll come to a fork in the road, and, and it's kind of like the thought is, which way? And I've actually gotten the impression, doesn't matter, whichever way you want. You know, feel free to go whichever way you want. Right. And it's but you're talking about something so important because many people get very confused. They say, I look inside, it could be fantasy, what I'm perceiving or mm -hmm. what I'm hearing. Yes. And there's a very great difference between revelation and fantasy or true imagination and fantasy. And so um, was listening to the inner voice and checking it, I call that verification, right? Um, so if the inner voice says, when you take your bicycle, you're going to, and you're wearing this bracelet, you're going to lose the bracelet. Mm. I would always tell my students, lose the bracelet. It's worth it to find out. It's worth it to find out that truly um, it, it works, right? Mm -hmm. That I'm hearing the inner voice, the still small voice that the Bible talks about, right? That um, Yeah. Uh, Elijah talks about, right? Exactly. So, um, you know, the still small voice is the subconscious speaking to us. That is our nature, knowing our nature is far more extended than we realize. Right? Mm -hmm. We think that we have a body and this is our boundaries. But if I look inside of my body, it starts to extend and extend. I am connected by energetic patterns, what I call dream fields, to the rest of 
to the rest of the world, to the world itself, but also to the people that I am um, uh, close to, mm -hmm. right? So I call that the dream field. And um, the dream field is going to tell me, turn right. In fact, this is what happened to me once in Jerusalem. I heard clearly, turn right. I turned right, and there was a huge explosion where more than 100 people were killed and many, many, many more wounded. Mm. So there I had, you didn't, but in your example, which was, thank God, good, but in my case, it was very clearly that my dream field had extended and was already picking up the danger. Wow. We're talking with Catherine Shaneberg. She has a website I want you folks to go to, the School of Images, the schoolofimages.org. That is the website. And, of course, the, the title of the, uh, the book that we are talking about here is uh, the Kabbalah of Light. We hope that you will go to the website, Amazon. I'm sure it's available on. I'm curious. I ask this question nowadays of um, most of my guests, and that is, is the book uh, in audible form, or are there images in it? And this is one of the interesting things. I had a gentleman who had compiled a, um, a book of photographs. And of course, it was a silly question to ask, but I did anyway. And it's, well, it won't translate real well <laughs> into audible. But uh, is your book available yet? Oh, yes, it's available. It's in Kindle. It's in audio. Um, it's in all of the <laughs> um, uh, forms, if you want. Wonderful. <laughs> Catherine Shaneberg is my guest, and you are listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank uh, Catherine Shaneberg for joining us here on the program. Um, now, <clears throat> before we dive into uh, the Kabbalah, the 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 Kabbalah of Light, as your your book title uh, speaks to, I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, uh, you and the work that you have been doing over the years. You have a PhD. Uh, what is that in? Psychology. Okay. How does that psychology? I should say. I'm sorry. Transpersonal psychology. Transpersonal. How does that play into the work that you do now in regards to uh, the Kabbalah and your book, The Kabbalah of Light? Um, I can't say that it does. I basically got my PhD to help uh, people who would feel strange about the work um, so that if they come to me, they know that I am trained, but my true training is Kabbalistic. And uh, I spent 10 years of con consistent, constant uh, presence at my teachers, Coletta Bulker-Muska, who was a direct descendant of uh, Isaac the Blind's tradition, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the, that tradition was held in her family for many, many, many generations. So. All the work that I do is based on that. It's based on a transpersonal understanding, if you want, that it's not enough to just talk about psychology. We need to talk about other uh, layers of the human psyche. And the, the deepest, of course, being the soul, the, the spirit, right? The numinous experiences that we also have. And so, Psychology, the, the level of psychology is the first level that I consider 
So somebody comes to me and they generally have an issue. Mm. And, and if I, or if I ask them to look in, the first thing that we always see is the, the garbage on the surface of the subconscious. It's a little bit like the garbage on our oceans. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we really need to clean that up and to unblock that because the subconscious is an incredible, great, powerful and dynamic river that flows according to the Kabbalists from the Garden of Eden. And this great river um, must flow. It can't be blocked. If it's blocked, we, we have problems. Um, in the Bible, the Isaac the Blind, a patriarch who lives in the tents, his only claim to fame, if you want, is that he unblocks blocked wells. So he's unblocking the river, he's unblocking the source, so that it can bubble up, right? Mm -hmm. So in that sense, um, there's the level of psychology, which is unblocking the traumas to allow this great river to flow. And then I have access to it, I look in, I ask a question, and immediately it starts to pull itself together, and to present me with images, experiences, a still small voice, right? And it's showing me the way. This mm. is such a powerful, powerful thing. Um, when people experience it, um, that they're suddenly shown, this is the way for you to go. This is the way for you to interact in the world, right? Mm -hmm. And and so, um, once they they practice this again and again and again, uh, and they learn to trust it, um, this is an incredible tool. Mm. They're no longer lost in the world. They're no longer lost in wondering what they should be doing in the world, right? Mm -hmm. The Kabbalah of Light, ancient practices to ignite the imagination and illuminate the soul. And you talk a lot about imagery, uh, especially considering you have the school of images.org. Um, <clears throat> the thought has occurred to me when it comes to the concept, uh, I, I guess in some instances it's more than just a theory. Some people actually practice telepathy, that it's not the exchanging of or transmitting or receiving of words because words are so inefficient, they're so incomplete. It's more uh, the transmission or receiving of of images. Is that, uh, and again, when I'm not as necessarily asking you to talk about uh, a telepathy per se, uh, but I, I seem to think that, that that is the better way, if we can, of communicating our thoughts, if you will, uh, our ideas, our beliefs, uh, what we know, and sometimes what we don't know, in imagery, because uh, even though that's still there, there's still a, 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 a room for interpretation by the the listener, the viewer, what have you. I even had a woman who interpreted dreams, <clears throat> and she never actually interpreted them. She no, just she asked the questions that elicited from the dreamer their own answers. Right. right. Talk to us a little bit about the, obviously, the significance and the importance of images. Well, think of it this way, is that 
we are really energetic patterns that before we have words we we come from energetic patterns so we have uh, let's say a blueprint the first cell becomes two becomes four becomes eight and then starts to um uh, create three layers of the derm and so so forth um so we are an energetic pattern and at first our body and our experiences have to do with form now the forms um are more powerful they are our original language this is what is said in the bible with the tower of babel we all spoke the original language and then we got confused that's the conscious mind bringing in words and words have unfortunately moved away from being close close to the experience which would be maybe words of poets or or mystics and become more analytical so then we lose the experience which is always in form if i turn the corner and i see uh, an incredible uh, sunrise um, it's the experience its colors its forms its energetic patterns that affect me then i'm going to go home and say um, to my partner this is what i saw and then it becomes words and that, that, that it'll be very difficult for the other to truly appreciate what I experienced. So the first experience is always, always in patterns and forms. Mm. And I am very much, it's almost sort of an irony of sorts. Uh, I was born legally blind, and yet I am definitely a person who is always looking for patterns. And some of my own personal drawings <clears throat> are uh, just that. I will take, for example, and I will, I will draw an outer shape. It could be multi-sided. It could be round, okay? Uh, it could be, uh, you know, pretty much, you know, anything in that regard. And then I will start drawing lines from edge to edge, and in other words, making it uh, a very much of a geometrical um, internal form, you know, with a bunch of little spaces in there. Then I'll take my colored pencils or felt tip pens <clears throat> of varying colors, and I will color in those spaces. No two adjacent spaces will ever have the same uh, color and specifically uh, adjacent colors, if you're, say, looking at a, uh, uh, a, a um, color scale, <clears throat> I don't want yellow next to orange, uh, I don't want green next to yellow, and so forth. And that's, how I, that's, that's what I'm looking for. And the, best, the, the closest other example I can think of are fractals, which to right. me are fascinating. Um, when, when, we are, when we are looking at, uh, is, is there an image of the Kabbalah, I mean, I mentioned the Tree of Life earlier, uh, and one of the fascinating things for me, I'm looking at the Tree of Life one day, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm seeing an image I've seen thousands of times before, but not in its, in its entirety as the Tree of Life is concerned. If you're familiar with the original 1960s series of Star Trek, and you take a look at the Enterprise from the front looking to the back, from, bow to, from the bow to the stern, you see a portion of the Tree of Life. 
you know? And so if you look at the top portion of the tree of life, you see the two round nacelles and then the sensor and the, the deflector shield and then, of course, the main, uh, main body of the ship. And I thought, I wonder if Roddenberry was even aware of that design, of that shape, that it's part of the tree of life. Well, in a sense, we're always aware of that because this is a blueprint of the universe, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's the blueprint of, of, of humans, too. You can walk into the tree, right? And so you have two brains, or you have two uh, sides, you have two hips. Um, you're basically walking into the tree, and, and that um, pattern is a is a basic pattern an archetypal pattern i i never actually teach the tree of life for a very good reason is that i want the students to experience it Mm. and not to think of of an archetypal uh fixed image it's not uh fixed it's constantly moving and so eventually as we do the inner work um let's say the body rebalances if it's in the physical realm, right? The body will rebalance and so it'll balance left and right and left hip, right hip, right? It's moving with the basic blueprint of, of man. Right. So um, there's much that can be said and a lot of teachers do teach the tree of life, but I try to avoid anything that's going to block the student into a fixed pattern. Mm, okay. I, I, I can certainly understand that because uh, we're always, of course, talking about, you know, working, you know, working out, uh, you know, coming up with ideas and things like this. A uh, couple of analogies outside the nine dots or outside the box, right. you know, throw the box away, throw the dots away <laughs> and just exactly. get creative. We're talking with uh, Catherine Shaneberg and the book is entitled The Kabbalah of Light. And it is the ancient practice to ignite the imagination and illuminate the soul. And we certainly hope that you will go to her website, which is theschoolofimages.org, and find out more about the work that she is doing as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it's really a pleasure to have you with us here, Catherine. Um, Here's a sort of a, I don't know if this is an odd question, but... um, what does it mean to you in this lifetime to be of the um, Jewish tradition? How, how important is that to you in this lifetime? I, I believe that all the great traditions are important, right? And that they have something to bring to the world. Um, my soul from the very beginning as a child moved in this direction. And my still small voice brought me straight to, uh, um, you know, to this tradition. I was not born to it, but it brought me straight there. So to me, it's very important because I find everything that I need in this tradition. Mm. But I am sure that the, that other traditions will bring uh, a similar awareness and a similar inner development but when i work with students they don't have to be jewish mm-hmm. and many of them are not um, they they don't need to do that because the whole work is to plunge them into the inside 
And the way that I work with that is either they have a dream and the dream is showing a, a difficulty. So we go, we're going to plunge back into that difficulty. And then an aspect that is Jewish, specifically Jewish and of this lineage is we respond to the necessity of the image. So let's say the image shows me uh, a dirty table, the necessity would be to clean it. And the amazing fact mm. is that when I finally see the clean table, something changes inside of me. I can hold on to that image and it moves me into a new manifestation, whether it's emotional or physical or, or mental, right? I can hold on to to um, the notion that I am dialoguing with my subconscious, right? And that I have a role to play. It's what the Kabbalists call being a co-creator. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's interesting. I mean, I was born and raised Roman Catholic. <clears throat> I've been exposed to the Eastern Rite of the Catholic Church, the Byzantine Rite. Right to uh, the Baha'i faith, certainly to Judaism, through these programs specifically. Yeah. And one of the things that I find extraordinary about Judaism that is actually, just from my observations, lacking even from uh, Catholicism, in spite of its 2,000-year traditions and all of that, when I speak like I'm speaking to you, about the Kabbalah and the different aspects uh, in relation to Judaism, there's a there's a fullness, a richness, uh, a, a texture that I don't get from any of the others that I do get from Judaism. Even though I, I I've never been a practicing Jew, but right. it's like there's something that 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 compels me to want to know more because there's so much depth to it. Uh, I still remember in my conversation with one rabbi, uh, and we were talking about a particular situation that has existed in this country specifically for, I don't know, maybe the full length of time of, of, of our history, and about uh, one of the 613 laws. He says, do you know the context under which this law was, was written or created and so forth? And I said, no, I don't. And he went on to explain it to me. And then I took a look at our present day, based upon the population at the time of the writing of these laws. I thought, well, there's no, there's been no real violation of this law because we went from whatever it was, 100,000 human beings on the planet, to 8 billion. And I just find it so, like I said, compelling to want, it's, it's almost like it draws me in. There's something well, about it. You know, I want to come back then to the dream. You were talking about this woman who's not actually an interpreter. Mm -hmm. We do the same. Uh, we call, uh, I call it dream opening. We look at the storyline, then we look at the patterns. But then we do what I call the dream opening, which is take the dream like a, a, uh, a diamond, and we can see the many facets of the diamond. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the great uh, uh, things in Judaism is there's no dogma. Dogma is, is, 
you'll have in, in the Talmudic tradition, which is ra rabbinical tradition, mm -hmm. um, you will have a rabbi saying, this is the truth. And the other one says, excuse me, this is not the truth. I see it this way. And a third one will say, I see it this way. So it gives a much more layered uh, appreciation of the world. Mm. And I think today we need layered appreciation of the world because we are too much inclined to say black or white, red or blue, or, mm -hmm. or this is the truth. No, this is the truth. Mm. No, there's, and if you look at nature, it's layered. I mean, the worms are important to the tree and, and the mushrooms are important to the tree and the worms are important to the mushroom. And so all of these layered um, uh, needs, we need all of us. And we need to interact and find out what the other one is really feeling about. And this is fundamental to the spirit of Judaism. Catherine Shainberg's my guest. The Kabbalah of Light is the title of book of the book. And the website is, <clears throat> pardon me, theschoolofimages.org. And this is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we are talking with Catherine Shainberg, who is sharing with us her insights and her research and and all the good stuff um, that we try to share on this program, Catherine. What we do is we lay out this smorgasbord, this huge... And by the way, uh, we're getting ready to celebrate our 15th year of doing these programs. And... This table is enormous, and we ask people to come to the table and partake of those things which maybe they're interested in, but that resonate with them. Don't We don't want them to partake of anything that they don't feel comfortable with. But what we do ask them to do is take away what it is that they're, they're going to, that they feel comfortable with, and then come back and maybe try something new. Uh, you know, take a... Uh, um, uh, step outside the box or the nine dots and right. and and try something totally different and maybe it's a little off the wall but you may find that there's something in there that kind of resonates with you uh, that helps you along your path and that's one of the things we want to talk about in regards to the Kabbalah of Light in terms of uh, you know as you, as you mentioned in the subtitle uh, illuminating our souls and really searching for, and a lot of people are, their, their path in life, which, if I'm understanding many of my guests to say, is it potentially might change as you move through, and I, I like to refer to it as, as you float down the river of life, allowing the currents to carry you where they will, towards your life's purpose it, it might it might change you might you know maybe glide over to the east bank or then over to the west bank back to the center and so forth and so on well tell i think that that's so important um you know i always tell the students don't hold on to one image or one idea be open to many right uh, don't hold on because then we fix it the one thing we have to understand is that learning to look inside, we can trust the subconscious to show us the truth. And the truth may take us down the river and left and right and mm -hmm. to other parts that we never thought we would ever get to, right? Yeah. Um, 
So we, we don't know that. But if we trust the process, which is I ask the question, the subconscious answers me and says, well, maybe I'll tell you my story, which started off with always working with images since I was a tiny child and helping people by creating images that would help them. And, uh, and when I went to college, I was studying art history because that was images and I understood images and that was important. Um, and I would think if I look at the painting of a Matisse and I take out the lemon, it's going to change the whole uh, uh, feeling of the image. And so I knew that I could help people by helping them to move those images. Mm -hmm. And then like you, I kept on hearing, go to the Middle East. Why to the Middle East? Anyway, I went to the Middle East because I always followed that inner voice. Mm -hmm. And I went all over the Middle East. And then it said, go to Israel. And I said, why would I go to Israel? I had no interest mm -hmm. not being Jewish and not uh, knowing the, the work, right? So I went to Israel, although I had a scholarship to a big university here in the country. And... Uh, and I stayed there for two years, not understanding what in the world I was doing. Mm. Until one day I heard the name Colette uh, talking about a French uh, social uh, socialite, if you want, in Jerusalem. And my head exploded into life. I knew I had to go there. And that's how I met my teacher. Right. So um, we are if we trust the the promptings of the inner voice, they're always going to take us where we need to go. Mm -hmm. This is why I have a lot of hope. Because if people learn to do this, and to do this, let's say, a companies of dreamers, we have a whole community of dreamers all over the world, mm -hmm. right? So this is a company of dreamers. And we, in a way, we dream together. One of the things that I do is classes where I give them many very short inductions to open up different aspects of their inside to explore, right? And they're dreaming together. They are um, moving in a way, um, in, a, in a more communal, um, larger way. Um, we're building a new world this way. Yeah, yeah. And one that is not connected so much to uh, all the facts, because we have them out there, and uh, right, but to the truth. Yeah, it's interesting. Where, where the world really wants to go, right? And isn't that interesting? You make it a, a very interesting and very profound distinction between the facts and the truth. Right. And there is a huge difference because it depends upon, for example, there's a universal truth that, that I have found. Um, and it's probably expressed uh, in the Kabbalah as well, that there is always, always, always an exchange. Einstein probably, probably said it best, for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. The Hindus might, uh, you might say, we call it karma. But the reality is that that is the way that it works in this universe. And you can't, you, there can't be a giver if there's no receiver and vice versa. I remember many years ago, I struggled with this for a very brief time because 
people would come to work at the radio station I was at. I would ask them to do something that was in the job description list. Oh, no, you don't pay me enough to do that. And I could have gone down that road. But I was given the opportunity to do interviews, and that's when I started really getting into doing interviews. And I began to taking a look at that after five, six, seven, eight years of doing them and realizing when it comes to this law of exchange that I was getting an exchange with all of the extra work that I was doing, aside from doing the interviews. I was given the opportunity to do the interviews. I was making the contacts. I was getting the experience doing interviews. I was getting the materials. Uh, I was actually making friends with most all of my guests. It was really fascinating. I mean, there were, and it just, uh, the list goes on of all of the things that I was going to, I realized, you know what? I may not be getting the exchange through my paycheck. And I think that's where people get get really bogged down. They expect mm-hmm. the exchange, whatever, you know, however it's going, to be through a modality that they expect. You know, one would have, to, uh, we should have a different bookkeeping. Money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a heart, heart, heart response and so forth, right? Um, uh, exchange of ideas and so forth. These would be different um, levels of worth of the exchange. <laughs> absolutely, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, one of my observations is because uh, I keep hearing this phrase used when describing the foundations for this country. That the, it is a, this is what's been said that this country was founded on Judeo-Christian ethics, if you will, or right. principles. Well, one of the probably Judeo-Judeish as well as Christian principles is you worship God, not Mammon. This country right now, and this is an observation on my part, is not founded on Judeo, uh, you know, is not living by Judeo-Christian principles because it worships mammon. You talked about we need a different uh, set of books. Yeah. Well, everything is based upon the economy. It is very unfortunate. Yeah. The worth, it's all about, uh, you know, um, consumering. Yes. Consumer products, right? Producing and consuming. Producing right. and consuming. And and we're destroying the world in the process, unfortunately, yeah. right? Because um, our earth depends on our interaction. Mm-hmm. I love my garden and I love, you know, I love what it produces for me, but I have to give it what it needs. Yeah. And so this interaction is so important. If I go beyond the interaction... And I put pesticides because I want a lot, a lot of tomatoes. So I'm going to put a lot of pesticides. I'm basically destroying the renewability of my garden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And this renewability is what I'm also talking about on the inside. You know, I I need to do the work of paying dialoguing. It's all about dialoguing, really. Mm-hmm. I dialogue with my garden, or I dialogue with my inside garden, and this produces the amount of tomatoes I need, not more, not less, but happy for the garden, happy for me. And if it's not that kind of dialogue, 
then uh, we have lost respect and yeah. attentiveness yeah. and listening. We're no longer listening to nature, our nature and nature itself. Right? You know, um, I can hear somebody out there saying, oh, well, Richard, you know, you must be anti-capitalism, anti-free enterprise. No. What I am saying is that there has to be another way. Oh, well, what is that other way, Richard? I don't know. But what I do know is that we have the minds and the intuition to guide us to those new ways. That's kind of what we, we, we talk about this all the time on the program. It's one of our slogans. Giving people choices and knowledge of those choices to help make their dreams come true and looking for those new ways of living. Just look around you. The old ways, they don't work. And we want them to work for everybody. And I'm well, not talking about a utopia either. No, it's not a utopia, mm -mm. this dialogue, this listening. In fact, one of the great prayers, the greatest prayer in Judaism is called Shema, which means listen. Shema. Listen. Mm. And um, we need to truly listen and return back to what is our nature. Yeah. And how we are connected to nature to the earth we need to respect and love it and i believe that the only way to save ourselves from this um overpowering technology which has gone completely berserk is to look inside yeah and to return to what the inside is telling us right mm -hmm. this is revelatory and if we're going to get through what this planet is going through more and more of us have to be doing this as communities, right? Creating uh, a better dreaming, if you want. Yeah. Because the dreaming is not something abstract or fantasy. It's your energetic plans. And these energetic plans become manifestation. Mm -hmm. So if I'm entranced by technology, I'm going basically, um, technology is going to go crazy and not pay attention. But if I, I'm no longer addicted to that, but really looking inside and asking each time, is this correct? Is this the right way? Is this the way to go? And each one of us does that not only for ourselves, but for our families and our communities and our nations, the world will change. Well, that's what we're looking for is that change. And we're talking with Catherine Shainberg, and we're talking about her book, The Kabbalah of Light, and her website, theschoolofimages.org. And this is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I, uh, I am fascinated by uh, this, uh, this aspect of the Kabbalah. What is the, um, how do I put this? I want to say the mission statement or the... <clears throat> um, philosophy, shall we say, or the, the, the meaning, the message uh, of the Kabbalah. What is, what's the point of the Kabbalah? Well, I mean, you could look. <laughs> it, it, the best way maybe to tell it, if, if people, uh, if your listeners know the tarot, mm -hmm. you've got all the, the tarot is, is a book in images that is allowing you to see all the steps of inner development. And the 12th Arcana is the hangman. Mm. You've got to surrender to the inner truth. That is the most important thing. And so Kabbalah is the mystical path 
of Judaism in which, let's say, um, two companions are walking down the road and they're asking, what does it mean in the beginning God created this or this or that? And then they start looking inward and the messages from the inside are showing them what it means. We have the tools, all of us, to do this. So let's say we gather all the facts. That's important, right? Uh, due diligence, I gather all the facts. But I still don't know if I should hire you for my company. Right. So I go to bed and I'm asking, I'm incubating a dream. Should I hire Richard for my company? <laughs> and then I have a, a beautiful dream in which um, we're next to a tree with a lot of uh, <clears throat> fruit on the tree. Well, the image is clearly saying to me, this is going to be good for the company. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because the subconscious gravitates towards the question and answers the question in images. Mm. Right? Now, if yeah. the image showed me a dark space or a di dark diagonal across the, the whole dream, definitely do not hire this person. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the, the inside knows, the, the, the body knows. The body, as I said, is extended mm -hmm. far beyond its own boundaries to be picking up all the information, information. We pick up the form. And if that form, let's say, not Richard, but somebody else, Bob, has a form that is distorted and dark, um, the dream is going to pick that up. Yeah. Interesting. Catherine Shainberg, my guest. This is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I want to talk to you a little bit or ask you where, obviously, we would say we would say uh, we would start with your book, The Kabbalah of Light. But when someone is first introduced and is curious, is being drawn, let's say we're, they're being drawn right. to study the Kabbalah, um, are there steps? Uh, a sort of a protocol that one might want to follow. And again, this is not ignoring, <laughs> not ignoring the still small voice, mind you. Uh, no. But uh, from your experience, where would one, where, what's one of the first steps one would take in studying the Kabbalah? Well, from my point of view, from this tradition that I uh, um, am, am teaching, start with your dreams. Mm. Write them down in the morning. And then in my book, I describe the, the four steps of dreaming, right? Um, and let's say of looking at a dream. So the first is I have to really write the story very clearly so that, let's say, uh, uh, somebody else would be able to visualize very mm -hmm. clearly. The second step is, well, where are the patterns? Oh, there's a lot of pink here and a lot of pink there. So. That's a pattern. And there are uh, a lot of twos in the dream, so that's a pattern. Once I've established that, I start looking at it from many different perspectives. So generally, we do that in a group. But you can do that with uh, your partner, your uh, uh, friend, uh, dream companion, or even on your own, taking different uh, positions to look at the dream, right? Mm -hmm. And then the fourth step of course, uh, is the tikkun, the correction 
if the dream needs it, because if the dream needs it, it's your way up the ladder towards pure light, mm. towards enlightenment, right? So let's say that in the dream, it's all perfect, but there's one um, rotten fruit on the tree. Wow. I need to take that that fruit, maybe um, envelop in it light, uh, maybe ask to look inside to see what is the disturbance, mm -hmm. and then to answer the necessity of that disturbance. If you do that, then you can manifest this new position, this new form. Right? I will tell you that <clears throat> uh, for myself, and obviously you've been doing this for uh, many years, um, that the experience of going within uh, is is a wonderful thing, but it can also be for some a, a scary thing because <clears throat> you're going to be, shall we say, introduced to your shadow side, as it's as it's called. Right. And you, we talked earlier about the difference between facts and truth. Uh, there are facts. And then there's the good, the bad, and the ugly of the truth of who you really are. Now, that's not to say that any of those elements are bad. It's that that's what we're all made of. I mean, I, I, take the moon, for example. There's a light side and there's a dark side to the moon. Right. All right. And, uh, you know, I find it fascinating, even in conversations about the moon, uh, that the same face is always facing the earth. Um, it's like, OK, what is the moon trying to hide? And we tend to do that. We tend to hide from those parts of our lives that maybe we're not so proud of. Maybe we do regret uh, you know, we wish that we could get forgiveness for this, that, or the think, other thing. I think that this is really your your uh, uh, conscious mind that does that. Mm. When you start looking inside, it appears immediately. And luckily, um, you know, it appears in your dreams. You'll have a nightmare or a repetitive dream. And if you know that you can dialogue with it, repair the necessity, then it's not as frightening, right? Um, you know, it's the dream is like looking into a mirror and seeing. Well, you didn't want to see that you're very vain, but the mirror is showing you that, but it's there's a little distance there. There's mm -hmm. enough of a distance that I can handle it, right? And I can make an agreement with my vain part to work on it. Right. So we have to go through that because it's the only way that we're going to uh, move more and more and more into the great dream or into the dream of light. Mm. Right. This whole process, obviously, you have um, you've been studying this for a number of years when you went to Israel and uh, or to the Middle East to to to, to study. How did you meet your, uh, shall I say, mentor or teacher? How did you meet this person? Well, as I told you, I heard her name. Mm -hmm. And I had an explosion of light. So I, I did everything in my power, although I didn't know she was a teacher. But the explosion of light told me, that was my inner voice saying, you've got to meet this person. 
So I actually moved from the south of Israel to Jerusalem, and I I pushed the person who talked to me about this woman, who never told me that she was a teacher, but to take me there. It took a while. Mm -hmm. It was difficult. But finally I got there, and she was sitting in a garden, and I sat in front of her, and she said to me, what do you want? Which was very frightening. She was a great <laughs> queen, right? <laughs> very regal. And I... I have no idea why that happened, but I said, I want you to teach me how images move people. Now, I have no idea why this came out of my mouth, but it did. And she said to me, I've waited for you a long time. And that was the beginning of my apprenticeship with her. Mm. And if you read the book, you're going to find out that my family and hers were very closely connected in a, a astonishing ways. Did that surprise so, you? Um, well, it's, it's a, um, it shows me that we are much vaster than our current um, incarnation. Does the Kabbalah speak to reincarnation at all? Yes, a lot, yeah. It's not part of the Jewish tradition, if you want, mm -hmm. uh, of the of the uh, synagogue tradition, but it's definitely part of the Kabbalah. Yeah, I, uh, I I could be wrong on this particular observation, but my belief is no philosophy. That's what I refer to them as: Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, etc. They're all philosophies. No philosophy comes out of a vacuum. So from your experience, your, your learning, what came before Judaism? The truth. <laughs> now, interesting you now, say today, that. Today we do know that because, of course, um, science has told us there's a Big Bang. Mm -hmm. Well, so we come out of the Big Bang, and that has unfolded for millions of years and has created our, our Earth, our planet, and then all the, the non-human uh, beings that are magnificent, and then ourselves. Mm. And it's interesting you use the word truth. I heard a quote, I read a quote once. It says, the truth is only the truth until it's written down. <laughs> and I, I actually, I like that a lot because once it's written down, people then begin the process of dissecting it. Right. Um, one of the, the, the things that I studied some years ago, and I know that you'll be able to uh, uh, elucidate on this. We talked a little bit about this earlier. <clears throat> In regards to the Hebrew alphabet, 22 characters, and each one has its own legend, has its own color, its number, uh, vibration or tone. I mean, it has a story behind it. Then you start combining the letters into words, whole new legend. Words into sentences, into paragraphs, into chapters, into books. Right. And it's, it is multi-layered. Right. The moment you translate it into another language, all of that is lost. Absolutely. And there is a part of me that really, and I'm not criticizing our educational system. That's not where I'm going with this. 
But I really wish that, especially in catechism class, they had taught us about the origins from which Christianity grew, and that's Judaism. Because if the truth be told, another observation on my part, all Christians should be Jewish because Jesus was not a Christian. He was a Jew. He never converted. Uh, he was, is, and always will be Jewish. That's true. But we have to think of it in, in larger terms, which is that um, he embodied a movement, a, an unfolding, if mm -hmm. you want, in the world mm -hmm. that then became known as Christianity. True. Right? And, and, and his, the whole story of, of resurrection and, uh, um, you know, uh, movement from hell back to heaven, uh, that whole journey was clearly important for many, many people who were enslaved at the time and who could then find a, a story, of, a massive, magnificent story to, to lead them, mm -hmm. right? So I, I think that, you know, he was Jewish and everything he says, you can actually read it in the Bible. Right. <laughs> he was a great master um, seeped in, in Judaism, yeah. but it somehow uh, evolved into something that was needed in the world in a different way, right? Yeah. I've also, uh, I recall reading uh, in in uh, the early days following his his uh, ascension, if, if you will, that the term at that time uh, Christian was used by the powers that be as an insult. It was it was it was profanity, if you will, in that day, and uh, and and yet those who follow Jesus as their savior. They have taken on that name, that 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 word, if you will, uh, and I thought that's very interesting that they would they would choose that word over some other, um, you know, I can't even think of what other word they might have chosen, but that's what they chose, and I right. thought that was rather interesting, and it, it draws draws me to this issue of another, uh, you might call it uh, universal law or uh, what have you. Or principle that words have power in whatever language they're spoken. Well, if you get back to uh, Judaism and to its letters, um, it's it's said in the tradition that the world was created with these letters. Now, these letters are blueprints. So, if we take the bet, which is like a a bee, but it has uh, it's an enclosure and then a little opening, it's like a house. It's, it's creating that particular uh, uh, value in the world, that that form will keep you safe or, and will allow you to move in and out, right? So uh, each of these letters um, is, is a blueprint of a particular movement that we need um, to be human if you want. Right. Yeah. Like I said, uh, I feel as though my education began after I got out of the traditional educational system because right. 
doing these programs, I should have my Ph.D. in eclectic studies. Uh, it, it is just fascinating, and and again, it kind of goes to the point of each of the each of the letters in the Aleph Bet has uh, its own story, and I did not know that about Bet. Or, well, that's about, why the yeah. you know translating the Bible is a difficult uh, endeavor because. Um, each of the letters has meaning. When it was written in the beginning, there were no spaces between the words. So you could read it in many different ways. And that's the key. The paradox is the key to Judaism, right? That we are allowed to think in opposite ways and yet hold these opposites together and create something new. Yeah. And um, so dogma is not what we're about. It's, it's really about... Um, picking many of the strands of reality and bringing them together into a new reality. I have to wonder, and I don't know if any studies have been done on this, especially recently in the condition that our country is in right now. We've heard the stories of people, families, who have, have literally been split apart uh, over ideological differences, political, if you will. Right. Uh, my brother and I had one of those conversations, and I made the commitment early on in the conversation, I don't care what he believes or what he has to say. He's always, always, always going to be my brother. And I'm not going to let this stuff, which in 10,000 years isn't going to matter, get right. between the, the family members. It's just not going to happen. Not from my side anyway. Um, but I wonder, based upon... What you've just described, how many families who practice Judaism and this aspect of allowing different perspectives to coexist, how many Jewish families have split up versus non-Jewish over ideological differences? I think that we're all tempted to do that. Yeah. Human nature? Yeah, human nature. I'm, I'm right and you're wrong. And, we, you know, these are the, the causes of uh, splits, divorces, uh, arguments, wars, right? Mm -hmm. But today we have to be very, very, very patient because we are in a huge transition in the world, a, a sh great shift from a civilization that was based on technology. We're right, we know that's the facts, this is how it is to a world that cannot uh, hold this anymore. It's destroying itself doing this. So we have to be very patient. Um, I, in fact, also had that. Uh, uh, and and the, it happened that it, was, it wasn't a family member, but somebody close. It was not going to work. We mm -hmm. could not find a place where we could meet, although we knew we cared for each other. So it's it's a matter of also understanding that we are caught in a in a global situation where the world story has to change and mm -hmm. when that happens we know it because there's such blocks such separations and 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 um and we have to just trust that those blocks and those separations will ease up with time i believe that yeah well, I have to say that uh, my, I give my parents the credit for this. 
uh, raising us the way that they did. I mean, we there were six of us, <clears throat> six of us kids with uh, wow. divergent lives and interests and all of this kind of thing. And um, the bottom line was family and that it doesn't matter what your differences are. You'll always be family. And that's right. something you need to remember. And that we all have a commonality. We all have a common history in terms of the things that family did. Uh, you know, dinners. We had family dinners uh, until I was in my t until I was 20 before I moved out. We would sit down. All of us at the same time actually would sit down and have dinner, you know, which is unheard of <laughs> nowadays, you know. Uh, we had wonderful holiday celebrations and so forth. And um, uh, so I think dinner together is absolutely essential for a good family. We need to meet together, whether it's lunch or dinner, but we have to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. There. The, the, the bounty of, of the earth, right? We need to do yeah. that together. We're talking with uh, Catherine Shaneberg and her book, The Light, The Kabbalah. Of light and uh, also the website uh, is the school of images.org I'm Richard Dugan this is tell me your story we're bringing you new paradigms for a new world giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true and we are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. and Wednesdays for our special edition of tell me your story at 9 a.m. and we're streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com our podcasts are at SoundCloud iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, and many other locations. And we have a video cast on YouTube where you can watch these interviews. We also encourage you to go to our guest's website that we are linked to. We ask you to participate in the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s, as we've been talking about regularly on this program, going within, spending time listening to that still small voice, and just being in that calm, peaceful, quiet place. And if you'd like to support the work that we are doing and it resonates with you and you'd like to have more of what we've been bringing you, we could certainly use your support financially. That's why we have a PayPal account. It's for your security as well as ours. And we thank you, thank you, thank you to those who have helped and to those who will help. Catherine, Catherine Shaneberg is my guest. Her book is entitled The Kabbalah of Light. And um, uh, when is there a, a, a specific, shall we say, accurate text of the Kabbalah? No, there are thousands of texts. But the, the um, most well-known, the most uh, influential is the Zohar that was written in the 1400s by a man called Moshe de Leon. Although he says that he was really just taking dictation from a sage of the first century, um, Shimon Bar Yochai. And I believe that there is no text except the inside. Wow. And so we could write the Zohar again and again into bigger and uh, um, more pages because each one of us is writing the Zohar, right? And the Zohar means the illumination. So the Kabbalah, in essence, is a very personal and individual, shall we say, way of life. Yes and no. Yes, because it starts with the individual. And no, because 
at some point, this is like magnetism. I've changed my inner form and it's going to affect the people around me. And they're going to start being, uh, let's say my form was like that, all rounded and, uh, and then people kept on banging into me, right? But I've changed my form. And now people can't come banging, they'll come and pray with me or they'll come and speak to me in a different way. So um, I can't remember where we were going. but <laughs> Well, uh, basically, uh, the Kabbalah being uh, a personal. Yes. And, and you, you so know, it's you raise communal. A, yeah. It's also communal. Communal. And you raise an interesting point, too. There's a there are several, um, I guess they call them old uh, wives' tales. Uh, one of them is sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, my belief is that words have power. They and do. power, those words can do damage. They certainly can do damage based upon the intent. But then there's another one that you kind of alluded to that says, uh, and I've been told this many times uh, when I was a kid growing up, Richard, you can't change other people. Well, I modify that to say actually that that's not true. I can change other people, but I can't do it with the intention of changing other people. I do it by changing myself, just as you described. Exactly. That was what I was going to say. If I change my inner form, now it's a different form. And everything that comes to me is now going to adapt to that form. It's like a great puzzle, if you mm -hmm, want. Mm -hmm. right? It's not going to come in and fit in because I'm no longer that form. So this puzzle piece is going to go away, and it may change its form at that point. Decide that this is so strong for it that it'll then want to change its own form. So I do that very often with students who have difficulties with their families, we don't talk about the mother and all the difficulties of the mother. We start changing the emotional tone and belief system surrounding what that person has inside. What does it look like? What color is it? How would you like to, to uh, take care of the red inside? Well, let's mop it up and clear it out. And now how does it feel? And then the person changes their form. And lo and behold, they'll go and spend Easter, Passover, whatever, with, with the family, and the relationship with the mother has changed. Nothing has ever been said to the mother. Mm. So it's very powerful. Yeah. I have to say that my parents' transformation, and I'm not so, I'm not 100% certain about my father's, although I think it has expanded, because my father has really kept to himself. And I'll be honest with you, I think that that's perfectly appropriate, especially considering what I was constantly told for 15 years at the Christian radio station, that my relationship with Jesus or with God, it was a, and these were the words they used, a personal relationship, which I always found interesting when they would then challenge me as to whether or not I was saved or not. You know, I like, well, wait a minute. I thought this was a personal relationship between me and God. I didn't realize this was a threesome here. Okay. No, no, this is just between me and God. All right. So you can just butt out. But my father has pretty much kept his spiritual life to himself, even though I would say that it has been exhibited through his example of the way he lived and has lived his life. Still alive at 91. Um, but I've noticed that my mother, who was born and raised Catholic, and grew up and was married in the Catholic Church and took us to Mass uh, for years um, until I was 16. And, 
And she finally said to me one morning, because I was exhausted from delivering the newspapers that morning, uh, that I didn't have to go to Mass. And it wasn't until my 20s that I asked her why. And she said, well, because I didn't want you to push away from the Catholic Church, which I never did. I mean, I'm not a practicing Catholic now, but I still love the rituals, the tradition, the ceremony. I just it's beautiful. And, and many of the stories as well. Um, but I noticed that she has grown beyond. I want to say don't say growing out of, but grown beyond uh, the the box, shall we say, of Catholicism, uh, and I'm sure yet she still holds much of her upbringing uh, near and dear to her heart as well. And you're not asking people to give up their no. specific philosophies, but to consider incorporating aspects of the Kabbalah of light, if you will, or the Kabbalah into their well, lives. Only the methodology. Right. Right. Not There's no dogma to this. This is right. a methodology. Mm -hmm. There's very clear, simple steps that are allowing a person to enlarge and to enlarge their consciousness. And uh, whether they're Hindus or uh, Muslims or Christians or Jews, it doesn't really matter as yeah. long as they are they're moving from, let's say, the brain or the, the, the mind to the heart. Yeah. And the heart permits us um, conversations with all sorts of different forms. Yeah. It's even been said when you talk about the brain and the heart that the, the distance from the brain in the heart is the longest 12 inches. Yeah because it sometimes takes a lot to go from the brain to the heart, to let go of. When you, if you do, and I would venture you probably do, meditate, uh, I was initially taught that you needed to quiet the mind. You know, shut up and sit down, you're on timeout. <laughs> you know, but I've come to the realization that my mind is as important a part of my being as any other. So I want to make friends with my mind and I say, hey, give me 10 minutes. Okay, could you maybe just sit over there quietly and let me have 10 minutes. And when I come back, we'll continue to have our fun. But just you know, there's, there's a real misunderstanding here because our dreams, for example, the night dreams, we're not going to remember them if our mind is not looking in. So it's just a change of attitude. Up until now, or at least in the last 400 years with the scientific uh, enlightenment and so forth, the mind went off on its own journey mm -hmm. and forgot about the subconscious truths, right? And the, the, the value of being well in one's body and healthy in one's body. So it went off on its own truth. Mm -hmm. So I can go to the doctor and he'll say, well, uh, What's happening in your hand has nothing to do with your, with your spine. Well, what do you mean? Of course it has to do with my spine. <laughs> so, um, but what I'm trying to say is that the mind went off on a walk and needs to come back and look inside. And our dreams are only available to us if we are closer, let's say, to waking up when the conscious mind is beginning to create order in the in the chaos of the subconscious. So we need the two. 
but not the way they've been going apart. They have to come back. It's like the Empress and the Emperor in the old tarot decks, where the Emperor is turned towards the Empress and he loves her. Right? She's the subconscious and he's the conscious mind. We need to come back to that, not to play this game of uh, women on one side and men on the other, and we all hate each other. Right? So to reform that philosophy I just described, no, don't give me 10 minutes and you stay over there and try to stay quiet and I'll be back. Come with me and stay quiet and listen. So in other words, right. invite the mind to join you. Exactly. To look in. That's even better. Yes. That's even better. <laughs> Because, I mean, think about that from, from the, uh, the standpoint of, of um, say, a parent and a child. And the parent wants to go wherever the parent wants to go. And the child, well, can I come too? I, I want to come too. You know, so, no, no, I'll be back in whatever, and, and I'll be back and when we'll have our fun. Whereas you're going to do more good in fostering the bonding with the child if you allow the child to come with you and experience with you. And that's not to say that the mind is a child, although sometimes. <laughs> well, I like I mean, that a lot better. Conditions. We say to the child, you can come, but you've got to be very quiet. Shh. So we mm -hmm. want the mind to wow. to let go of its belief systems so it can truly observe which is what the mind should be doing Whoa. observing right I, that's that, i'm sorry but that is really that's powerful that really is uh so so bring bring it along bring along the mind right bring it along but again shh. yeah and so we, we i have a method that's called sapphire imagery which creates it's a short induction that creates a little jolt in the in the mind. So the mind's okay. You you don't want me to talk, so I'll be quiet and I'll look. Um, it gets the mind out of the way of with all of its facts and all of its analysis and all of its doubts and all of its uh, difficulties, and it just is there present, right? Yeah, it's like going into. I was just thinking about this. Going into a museum or going into one of the shops here in our own town of Santa Barbara where they've got some rather fragile items for sale and so forth, but it's like they don't necessarily tell you not to touch, but I will have my hands down by my sides or maybe clasped behind my back just so I can, I can just sit there and I can observe. I can just use my eyes to take in whatever it is that I'm looking at. And if it's something that speaks to me, then I might pick it up and, you know, and purchase it. Um, it's that same kind of thing. That's what, that's just what, it. what's that? <laughs> if you can afford it. If you can, exactly. If you can afford it. Uh, if you can afford it. Uh, yeah. Catherine Shaneberg is my guest and her book is called The Kabbalah of Light. And uh, she has a website and it is theschoolofimages.org. That's theschoolofimages.org. Catherine, we're going to be linked to your website as well so that folks can find out more about you and the work you're doing. And we certainly do encourage people to pick up a copy of your book, which is The Kabbalah 
Kabbalah of Light as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and Catherine, I want to thank you so much for the time that you have given us here on the program. And, uh, I mean, this has just been an incredible uh, eye-opening experience for me personally in some of the things that we've talked about. It's just fascinating, and I hope that, and I may have to go back and re-listen in terms of uh, uh, reminding myself of the story you told of the letter B, or the bet in the Aleph bet, if you will, of uh, of uh, the the Hebrew language, uh, as well as some of the other elements that, that you've shared with us, as well as from the book that you have, The Kabbalah of Light, and your uh, website of uh, the school of imagery.org. I really do appreciate images. your time. The school of images. Images. Well, I, 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 I got it right every time I put that one. The school of images.org. And I thank you so much for, uh, for being with us here today. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed the conversation. Well, that's what we have here, our conversations. It's not one of those, let me ask you a question, you answer, I'll ask you another question. Uh, I heard somebody tell me just the other day that they did an interview with someone and it was one of the hardest interviews they'd ever done because the interviewer was obviously working off of a list of questions and really wasn't listening to the guest. Yeah. Most probably. That yeah. happens. And it's unfortunate, but, you know, uh, I'm sure some information got through. Uh, I do have three final questions that I want to ask you, that I ask all of my guests at the end of our program. Uh, but before I do, I want to remind you, the listener and the viewer, that you are listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. with our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. And we are uh, streaming at those times at richarddugan.com. Our podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, and many other locations across the internet, as well as on YouTube for our video cast. And you can go to Richard Dugan and Tell Me Your Story, and you can watch these interviews. We encourage you to subscribe so that you can be notified when a new interview is posted. We also ask that if you can do so to support us financially. We have a PayPal account. It's there for your security as well as ours. And uh, we appreciate every every uh, penny, nickel, dime, whatever you can afford to send us. You know what? We'll even take energetic support as well. And then we ask you to participate in the decade of Perfect Vision, where we ask you to go within. Take your mind with you. All right. Hold your mind by the hand. <laughs> Tell her, shh. Quiet, quiet. This is like a library here, okay? And just be still and listen to that still, small voice. And with all of that being said, the first of my three questions to my guest today, who is Catherine Shaneberg? (laughs) Nobody's ever asked me that. Uh, It's me. (laughs) I, I, I... I don't know how to answer that because when I think about myself, I think that I am nobody. And when I speak, it doesn't come from me. It really comes from another place. I don't know where it comes from. Some uh, a vast uh, inner wisdom that is not mine, but it comes through me. Hmm. I, I just have to be very, very careful and and always push out any personal stuff so that um, that can come through. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? 
But I believe we're in a huge transition, a new epoch, a new era, and that it's always a very difficult thing, the transition time. We're in the transition just now. Um, we see a lot of blockages, a lot of uh, um, um, oppositions, and we have to get through this. I believe that the work that I, that I do and that my students do is essential to helping this tradition, to helping this transition, mm -hmm. right? That people all over the world need to go back in, back to their own true nature and start being uh, guided by the amazing blueprints that create us and that create our planet. And we need this work now. And I believe that that's why I'm here, and that's why the school is here, and that's why um, the students do the work. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Is to get out of the way, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> so that people can flourish, so that the garden can flourish, so that things can grow and uh, that we can uh, really watch the magnificence and the numinous power of the world. And we've forgotten this in all the technology and all of the uh, uh, screens that we have and so forth. We've forgotten the incredible beauty of the world. And so that's my life purpose is to look at it and speak about it and uh, help people to access it again. Well, Catherine Shainberg, again, I thank you so much for your generous uh, uh, contribution to the program. And uh, we look forward to having you back again to talk more about the Kabbalah of Light. Thank you so much, Richard. <laughs> And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lal and Jeanette, I am listening. <laughs>